Hello and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. This is episode 60 of Strange Sound. And I believe the day I'm recording this is April 24th, 2021. My goodness me. So here we are again, another week, another fantastic week. Um, This was the week that we got the verdict in the Chauvin trial, um, amongst other things going on in the world today, in America today, that we will be commenting on. When I say we, I'm using the royal we, I don't know why. What I mean is me. And by way of that, um, my standard disclaimer, the views expressed on Strange Sound are my own. They do not reflect the views of anyone associated with me. They are not the views of my friends or my neighbors or my family or my co-workers or my employer or my uh, casual acquaintances on Facebook or my casual acquaintances on Twitter or the people who excoriate me on Twitter or the people who like my t- posts on Twitter or um, anyone who follows me on any social media or anyone who's ever met me, anyone who's ever heard of me. I doubt there's anyone who agrees with me anywhere in the world. I am a pariah. Well, a a lesser pariah amongst greater pariahs. Um, So anyway, uh, my opinions are my own, and that is what I express here on Strange Sound. I do it on a weekly basis. And of late, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, my new um, sort of slightly more spare format is to read my blog posts, which I call my Furious Rants. Uh, Furious Rants that um, are posted on my blog at big-green.net. If you follow the blog link and you click through to the blog and you click on Political Rants as a category, you will see my various rants. Um, There are also other posts there that are quite a bit sillier. Um, These are the serious posts. And I try to be as serious as possible. Um, so yeah, that's what I do is read the previous week's blog post. I tend to, um, post a blog post once a week towards the end of the week. And then I record this on Saturdays and then I post this on Monday. So if you're hearing this, it's probably Monday or it's probably Tuesday or God only knows. So it's whatever I'm saying is rooted in the day that I'm recording this. Because if I'm sort of, you know, bloviating or expressing my opinions on things that I'd written a couple of days ago, uh, that's going to be informed to the point that we understood things on Saturday, April 24th, 2021. So, without any further ado, I am going to read this week's blog post under Political Rants or Furious Rants by Joe... And it is entitled Just Desserts. It is dated yesterday in my time, April 23, 2021, which was a Friday. And it goes something like this. Again, the title, Just Desserts. It was another one of those moments that will be encoded in our memories so that people will likely recall long into the future 
where they were when they heard the news. I know I won't soon forget the sadness I felt, unexpectedly, when I heard that former police officer Derek Chauvin was convicted on all three counts. As with most important events, I learned about it from a television announcer while I was in another room doing something else. My eyes started welling up and I and I thought about George Floyd somehow looking down on this sorry society of ours from his perch in the afterlife or his place in our memories and smiling. I think the repeated replay of his terrible suffering over and over through the course of the trial left a mark on a lot of us. And for me, it is a source of tremendous sadness to know that he had to endure such, such an awful death so unjustly. In the shadow of that horrific act, the conviction is cold comfort, but I am glad that his family now has that small measure of solace. And if there is a soul that persists beyond the boundaries of this life, I hope the soul of Mr. Floyd is resting more peacefully now. I wish I could say I feel confident that this will be some kind of turning point with respect to policing in America. Objectively, the Chauvin conviction is a demonstration of just how much it takes to convict a white police officer for killing a black civilian, namely a complete video record, many witnesses, police willing to testify against the defendant, and so on. Even then, this was touch and go. That, in itself, is enlightening for white people. See my take on this last summer. What's more illuminating is the press release the Minneapolis Police Department put out after Floyd's murder. CNN and other outlets have reported on this recently. Suffice to say that it is a pack of steaming lies. No mention of Chauvin's knee on his neck for 9 minutes and 29 seconds. They claim George Floyd died at the hospital after they had him transported via ambulance when the officers, quote, noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress, unquote. Seriously, their credibility is shit. There is no reason to believe a single word these people say. How often does this happen when there are no cameras around? How many George Floyds have expired with nothing but an anodyne press release left to cover the tracks of their killers? Those of us who grew up in white America know that this sickness runs as deep as our bones. The racist mission of law enforcement is as foundational as DNA. You can try to reform it, but it will always be there at some level. It takes a lot of work to put that into a box, and we're only just getting started. Love you. Joe. Okay, that was uh, clumsily read, but that's it for this week. That's the blog post, I should say. <laughs> if that's not it, no, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. Anyway, uh, yeah, so a few things in there. Um, I did mention that Minneapolis police report, press release, and I don't doubt that anyone who's listening to this podcast has probably heard this discussed on television before, but I want to just for the record, I want to sort of read sections of this so that you can get an idea of how this incident that we have all seen from a variety of angles and at length in detail, the entire encounter from the, from the moment that they came at him with a gun at the driver's side of his car and pulled him out and, you know, did the whole thing with the knee on the neck. We've all seen what happened. And yet this is the press release that they put out. I believe it was the day after or a couple of days. 
I think it was like the day after. And this is datelined. This is called Investigative Update on Critical Incident. I'm going to put a I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes. Investigative Update on Critical Incident. May 26, 2020, Minneapolis. As additional information has been made available, it has been determined that the Federal Bureau of Investigations will be part of this investigation. This was like an addendum that they put on the next day. But the day of, or the day after, I should say, man dies after medical incident during police interaction. That's the headline. Man dies after medical incident during police interaction. (laughs) On Monday evening, shortly after 8 p.m., officers from the Minneapolis Police Department responded to the 3700 block of Chicago Avenue South on a report of a forgery in progress. Officers were advised that the suspect was sitting on top of a blue car and appeared to be under the influence. Two officers arrived and located the suspect, a male believed to be in his 40s, in his car. He was ordered to step from his car. Now, this is when he was approached at gunpoint with a gun pointed in his face and told to get out of the car. We've all seen it. After he got out, he physically resisted officers. Yeah? Okay, that's one way of seeing it. Officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. I mentioned this in the blog. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance where he died a short time later. At no time were weapons of any type used by anyone involved in this incident, except when the the cop was waving the gun in his face. Then a weapon was being used. And of course, his knee was a weapon. (sighs) Jesus Christ. I mean, seriously. So that's, in essence, what they reported. They closed it out after that. They said no, no police were injured during the incident. No, no police were injured. A couple of things right? No mention of the fact that he died on the scene in front of witnesses, many witnesses, some of whom were were fortunately capturing video of this. God only knows what would have happened to the body-worn cameras on on the cops. What would have happened to that video? I don't know. That was the press release they put out. So what the hell? How does that even begin to reflect reality? So, you know, that in and of itself is a it's a perfect illustration of the gap between their communication strategy and what they actually fucking do, what their officers actually fucking do. It couldn't be farther from the truth. And yet, even though they were recorded on video doing this, committing this crime, committing this murder in front of witnesses, they still released this press release, which was just a pack of lies. Wasn't even vaguely, vaguely accurate. And it is just, I mean, I heard this and I just almost fell over backwards. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Chauvin kneeling on, on, on Floyd's neck and looking at the crowd and almost defiantly just like he's saying, you can't do anything about this. I'm doing this and you can't fucking do anything about this and fuck you. 
And that, that's kind of like the attitude with which they release this press release. It's like, well, you know, this is this is the story, and we're sticking by it. Bullshit. It's just outrageous. So, I mean, how many, again, how many George Floyds are there, right? How many incidents like this are there that we don't have a video record of? You know, it's funny, just within the last day or so, I was listening to uh, American Public Radio or American Public Media. <laughs> used to be American Public Radio. I don't know. Some public radio network uh, has a show called Reveal. Some of you have probably heard of it. And they did a story last week uh, about a 16-year-old, was 16-year-old at the time, man from boy, really, from Minneapolis, Hennepin County, um, named Myron Burrell, who was sent to prison for life. Um, having been accused of the murder of an 11-year-old girl. And I am going to include a link also in the notes to this show, to this episode of Reveal. If you haven't heard it, I suggest you listen to it because it... Uh, Gives you an idea of just how deep, how deeply problematic uh, the Minneapolis Police Department and the Hennepin County DA's office, the entire prosecutorial infrastructure of that of that community is. To listen to the anatomy of this case against against um, Mayan Burrell, a young man who spent 17, 18 years in prison on a life sentence, on the basis of nothing. They had nothing on him. When he was in custody and he was 16 years old, they wouldn't let him talk to his mother. He asked about, I don't know, a dozen times. They would not let him talk to his mother. He didn't even know why he was being held. And he was scared. And he told them that at the time of the murder that he later found out that they were accusing him of, um... It was one of these kind of stray bullet murders. Um, he, he said that he was at like the Mall of the Americas or something like that. Um, and that was a lie. So on the basis of that lie, they put together a case and, and, and drove him to prison, basically. Now, he was in prison for 18 years. And the facts of his case came out particularly with the most salience after the murder of George Floyd because it's the same community. In fact, where he was at the time of this killing was Cup Foods, which is where George Floyd was murdered. It was right in front of that, in front of that store. That's where Mayan Burrell was uh, when, this, when this murder happened blocks away. <laughs> and he got, he got collared for it. Uh, I encourage you to listen to the podcast. I encourage you to listen to that show because I would I, I could relate some of the details, but uh, they unfold it very carefully and and very skillfully, much more skillfully than I could ever do. So I suggest you listen to it, and it is just it's mind blowing because it just gives you an idea of how deep this goes. And in fact, in a funny way, the Mayan Burrell story is is kind of like the thread that unraveled uh, Amy Klobuchar <laughs> and 
in in some ways it's that it's that case in some ways that prevented her in a certain respect from being vice president of the United States because I'm sure I'm I'm sure Joe Biden really would have rather had Amy Klobuchar as his vice president. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think there was a good chance that he wanted to have her as his vice presidential running mate. And this came out, the, the Floyd murder happened around that time, and this story gained new salience. Um, some of the facts started coming out. It just happened to coincide with a, a, a reporter, actually a prize-winning reporter, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter, I think, doing um, some stories on on Burrell and how he was wrongly accused and the evidence, the bogus evidence against him, that that had gained some salience because Amy Klobuchar at the time was the Hennepin County DA um, and had sort of built her career in a sense. (laughs) She built her ascent (laughs) in politics in part on that case and at one of the Democratic presidential debates, she bragged about it. She bragged about sending the killer of that 11-year-old girl to jail. Uh, this this kid that didn't do it, and that that made it salient, and that that interested major publications and major media outlets in this story. Um, otherwise, this journalist would have had trouble shopping that story around. So it was just it was a question of timing. And that made it a national story. And Amy Klobuchar was having this thrown in her face at every turn. And then when when the George Floyd incident happened, she was cooked. As far as being vice president. Because she was like on the short list for vice presidential candidates. And uh, that knocked her off the short list. That pretty much knocked her out of it. Because it was clear. You know, I mean, this was going to be problematic for people. Joe Biden needed enthusiastic support from the African-American community across the country. He was reliant on that. And there is no way (laughs) that he could depend on the level of support he needed from those voters if he had Amy Klobuchar as his vice president. That was not going to happen. So uh, he picked a still semi-problematic former prosecutor <laughs> by the name of Kamala Harris, but she didn't have the same same set of issues. wasn't quite as wasn't quite as bad, you know. It's like every prosecutor that came up during that period in the early two thousands, the late mid to late nineties, um, built their career on this crap, on sending black people to jail in large numbers for long sentences. We know it. A lot of Democrats built their career on this. Go back and look. It isn't an accident. I mean, I never knew this about Amy Klobuchar before she ran for president. I didn't even know she was a DA. I had no idea. And she was just a senator. I used to see her on, I don't know, Rachel Maddow once in, once in a while. Whatever. I mean, she was, you know, she'd show up on MSNBC and I'd, I'd hear her talk. And she seemed like an all liberal, sort of. And uh, when this all came out, it was just like, holy shit. 
But yeah, this uh, Mayan Burrell, um, the poor kid got clemency. But based on his behavior and on probably on the notoriety, um, he was one of the only people <laughs> up to that point. This was in, I think, I think in 2019, maybe. Um, no, no, no. Might have been after that. He was one of the only people who to receive clemency um, from from the uh, parole board in Minnesota. You know, <laughs> it was a very hard thing to accomplish even then. And uh, they they gave it to him because he'd been a model prisoner, done a bunch of things, and he never committed the crime. And I think in their hearts they knew it, and they knew that this was a liability for them. Governor Waltz knew that this was a liability for him. Amy Klobuchar knew that this was a liability for her. And it probably cost her the vice presidency. In a certain, in kind of a bank shot way. It's probably more George Floyd. But built on the story that it sort of knocked her out of the race. And, uh, you know, her, her, um, her sort of early support, her surge of support that she had a little early on in the campaign, that collapsed. And she was out. It was clear that, you know, she couldn't get the support of, of people of color in sufficient numbers because they had, you know, she had a bad history. So I, I encourage you to listen to this reveal episode. It's quite good. And just one piece of it I would share that I found particularly appalling. This Mayan Burrell um, did have some experience with the Minneapolis Police Department prior to this incident that happened when he was 16. Prior to that, um, apparently some neighbor of his family, he lived with his mom and I think maybe more than one sibling. I know he had a sister. His sister um, got in some kind of altercation with a neighbor. Then the neighbor cut her with a knife. And they called the police. And this is described in this reveal episode. I won't try to describe it in any great detail. But essentially what happened was the police came and um, Mayan Burrell was, you know, a young man on his bike on the porch, I believe, of his house. And they told him to freeze and put his hands up. And he, you know, again, this is, they were there because his family had called them to respond to the fact that, you know, uh, his sister had been stabbed by a neighbor. <laughs> and they were like, you know, telling him to put his hands up. And then they dragged him off the porch and they threw him up against the fence. And they were, you know, they were, they were manhandling him and his mother came running out and they like told her to, you know, we can handle this. And, you know, they, they were pointing guns at her. I, I mean, it was just, when you hear it described, he ends up being taken down to the station, by the way. Um, his crime was sitting on his porch. <laughs> that was his crime because, I mean, this is back in, you know, the early, like, maybe 2000 or 2001 or something like that. And this is a point when the cops were, when they rolled into that neighborhood, they were out for, they were out for blood. 
and everyone around them was an enemy. And when they saw him, he was the enemy. And they they started barking orders at him. And when he didn't respond right away, they started manhandling him and roughhousing him, throwing him up against the fence and holding a gun against him. It is a fucking outrage. And it's just an illustration of how deep this problem goes in the Minneapolis Police Department. So, yeah, there's, you know, Merrick Garland and the Justice Department has announced that they're going to, you know, conduct an investigation of the Minneapolis Police Department. Maybe that'll that'll result in a consent decree or something. That's great. That's great. But how deeply are they going to look at this? And with what eyes? And how unique is the Minneapolis Police Department? How different is it from any other police department? We know there are other problematic police departments. Certainly New York City. Certainly Chicago. The Toledo killing, of course. Most recent amongst their accomplishments in law law enforcement. Shooting an unarmed kid with his hands up, killing him. Another 17-year-old. I mean, is Minneapolis unique? Of course not. (laughs) It may be more typical than, than an outlier. I'm not saying every single police department has a record as bad as this, but they're all basically founded on the same thing, through the same tradition. It's in their DNA. What do we do about this? It's an open question, and I know it makes people uncomfortable. It makes liberals uncomfortable. It makes Democrats uncomfortable. It makes Amy Klobuchar uncomfortable. When people talk about abolition, defunding the police, prison abolition, right? I know it makes people uncomfortable because they're like, oh, you know, how are you going to keep me safe? Okay, well, it's a legitimate question, but... No more legitimate than the question of what are we going to do about this racist institution that has been, that was basically founded to keep people of color in their place. So that somebody like me, a white person, male, you know, from the right side of town, if I call the cops, they're going to come here and they'll call me sir. They'll be here to protect me. I don't have to worry about it if I call them. They're going to look at me and they'll be like, eh, you know, what can we do for you, sir? If Burrell's family calls, and we know this, you know, because his mother did call the police, uh, they're under arrest. (laughs) That's the help they get. They get arrested. I mean, yes, that was back in the early 2000s. And his mother died, by the way. His mother died shortly after he was incarcerated for this murder that he did not commit. His mother died on the way home, driving home from seeing him in the jailhouse. If that isn't pathetic enough, I, I, again, I can't encourage you enough to listen to this episode. Just listen to it. And I, I just, by the time it was over, I was jumping up and down. It just made me so mad. <laughs> and it just, it, it, it makes you scream. Um, so I, you know, I don't know what else to say about it, except... I I know maybe maybe you don't like to be frustrated by things. <laughs> I just it's like I'd rather know these things than not know these things, right? 
I feel empowered by knowing this. Even if I can't, if I don't have the experience. And, and though I know I have racism sort of bred into me, into my very bones, I know it's there. I've fought it all my life. In me, like a lot of white people have. Not everyone. Some people embrace it. But it's brought into us. And we have to do something about it. So when people say, defund the police, when they say we need to abolish these institutions of control, uh, you know, we should listen. And we should try to work out some way to rethink how we keep our families safe. And by our families, I mean everybody's family. I mean the Burrells as well. I mean the Floyds. How do we keep them safe? How do we keep Philando Castile safe? How do we keep the Toledos safe? Too many names. Anyway, that's all I got. I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can leave a one-minute voice message when you go to anchor.fm slash strangesound. You can also connect with me on Twitter, connect with the show on Twitter, at strangesoundpod. Um, if you go to big-green.net, you'll find other ways to get in contact with us. Just click the contact link, and you'll find all kinds of information about how to get in touch with us. Um, you can visit our Facebook page. You can connect with us there. You can send me a private message on Twitter or through um, Facebook or whatever. Um, you can email me. There's different ways to email me. Um get in touch with me. If you leave me a voice message, uh, I will play it on the show if it isn't too crazy. Um, and I'd be glad to have a conversation with you on the show. If you want to do a Zoom session or something like that, be happy to do that. Anyone wants to discuss these issues or, you know, put in a perspective that's different from mine or that's um, somehow additional to mine, you know, I'd be glad to have other voices involved in the show. Let me know. Be happy to collaborate. And that's all I got for this week. I hope you guys are well out there. Stay safe. Be well. Get your shots. <laughs> Please do. And have a good week. I'll see you next time.